today. If you want to turn there, Daniel 12, you have your Bible. The last book, the last chapter, excuse me, of Daniel, at least in our Bibles, in the Ethiopian and Orthodox Church Bibles, it's not the last chapter of Daniel, but in ours it is. So uh, Daniel chapter 12, And I will just kind of read. Let me give a little background, though, before I get into that. So Daniel begins, the the last part of Daniel, the last three or four chapters, starting with chapter 9 or 10, I can't remember which one, but he starts having the the final vision of the the book. Most of it is just stuff about uh, these kings will do this and these kings will come up and they will go to war and things like that. Uh, but basically, in chapter 10 and 11, you have a section on a lot of war, a king from the north and a king from the south going to war. And it's made clear, though, that both kings are actually evil. And uh, ultimately, the northern king wins over the southern king, and, and he, uh, he's a, like the other one, he's evil, and he you know, isn't good and doesn't obviously follow God. And, uh, and, but... We're getting to the end to see what ends up ultimately happening. And so, let me read starting in chapter 12. It says, uh, At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people, and there shall be time of trouble such as never has been seen, excuse me, such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. I'm going to stop there. So, all this stuff is going on uh, where, you know, he's prophesying about the southern king and so forth. And, but what I want to focus on this morning is this part where uh, Daniel is told the very end of things. The very the end of what's going on. So, the first thing, the first thing I want, I'm just going to kind of go through here like we've been doing, and you know, talk about parts of what we read. The first thing there it says, at that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people, and Michael, the archangel, is generally uh, described in scripture, thought of in by the Jewish folks and in scripture as sort of the warring angel for the nation of Israel, for the people of Israel. And uh, the idea in Scripture, particularly it really comes out in this book, is that you have different angelic or spiritual entities, beings, that are kind of controlling or representing or going to war on behalf of spiritually of different nations on earth. So you would have an angel of the Greeks, the Greek you know, Greece, or you'd have an angel of Persia or something like that that's mentioned. And the idea here is that uh, there is what, what happens on earth is also happening in heaven, that they're, that they're together in a sense. 
So one mirrors the other. You know, one it's it's happening all all together. And I think there's I think there's a lot to this that's that's good for us to consider because it reminds us that there really is a lot of spiritual warfare and stuff going on in the heavenlies all around happening here and in the heavenlies that we can't see. It's happening behind the scenes. And I know we talk about that and we all would probably agree to that, I would think. But but it's good to be reminded. Of, yeah. I think Walt would call it the excluded mental. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's what he calls it. Yeah. Uh, and so you, you have a lot going on that we can't even see with our own eyes. So back in chapter 10 for a minute, let's go back to chapter 10. I'm going to look at a section here to kind of talk about that. It says, in those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. This is in verse 2. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine, entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. On the 24th day of the fourth month, or the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river that is Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen, with a belt of fine gold from Upaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face with the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and I heard the sound of his I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. I think basically what happened there is he fainted. You know? I mean he falls he just he goes to the ground and it's too much for him and he falls asleep, you know, he just it knocks him out. But um, Slain in the spirit, yeah. Maybe that's a better word, yeah. So uh, he's he's out, uh, and um, so what's happening here? Well, most people regard this as a Christophany, and uh, hey, Greg, come on in, as a Christophany, in that uh, you see you see someone here that looks a lot like Christ. If you look in Revelation chapter uh, chapter the very first few uh, verses of Revelation describes Christ very much in this way. And so this is Jesus. And then we got more going on here. Um, where did I where did I leave off? Okay, I'm ready for verse 10. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved and understand greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. When he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. And he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. All right, now this is what I wanted you to see in verse 11. Now, you have, first of all, in that section we read in chapter 10, that first section, you see the Son of God, uh, and it describes him that way. In verse 10, what I just read he talks about a hand touching him and set me trembling. I believe this is the angel Michael at this point that reaches out and touches him um, here. And 
So you have several, you have Christ there, and you have Michael the archangel present. And so he says in verse eleven, uh, this is Michael speaking now. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me twenty-one days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. Actually, I guess this wouldn't be Michael because they're talking about Michael in the third person. But anyway, might come to help me, and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me and no breath is left in me. So this angel that, that touches um, Daniel in this case tells Daniel that he's been at war with, um, with you know, other angels, other beings. The yeah, the prince of Persia. And it uses the word prince, but it's really referring to an angelic being, even though it, he calls it a prince. We're in Daniel 10, by the way. Um, so I just wanted you to see that because we were talking about how these different nations had princes over them, which were angelic beings. And this is sort of a case where you have the angel describing battle going on. And he says the angel, uh, Michael, the archangel, came and helped me. And I think uh, some people have interpreted this. I said Michael a while ago. I meant to say Gabriel. Some people have interpreted this as the angel Gabriel speaking. Uh, and, uh, and he talks about Michael coming and helping. But, you know, we don't really know that for sure. But some people have interpreted it that way. The, the angels of Absolutely. That's important. Yeah. So the angel over Persia is a bad angel that he's been warring against, a fallen angel. Gabriel appears in chapter 9. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's probably behind the idea that this is also Gabriel. Makes sense, yeah. So uh, so you got Gabriel and Michael and uh, and the Son of God present in chapter ten. Is, is Michael always associated uh, with combat? Well he's as opposed to Gabriel. He's he's regarded as, as Israel's warrior angel or their guardian angel, which I don't like that phrase, but you know what I mean. Somebody that that he's is in Revelation. Yeah. Against, yeah. Right. Uh, For the people of God. Okay. Yeah. That's right. Gabriel brought the Annunciation to Mary, you know, for yeah. the, the births. I, I think Michael is the only one that the term archangel is appointed to. Okay. I thought Gabriel was an archangel. Is that not true? I don't know. Uh, or, okay. I don't remember. Just yeah. Off the top of my head. Okay. And what's. What's the argument for this being a Christophany? Because the seven verses seven through nine, you mean? Um, again, there's two different things going on there. But verses seven through nine, um, it's just first of all, he's called the he's called a man clothed in linen, and uh, and you know he looks like Christ that we see in the Book of Revelation. He's described very similarly to the to Christ as he's described in Revelation. So. Most people interpret it as a Christophany. Um, I think that's probably a good way to interpret it. In, in the sense that Daniel's having a vision and Christ Christ is in the vision. You know what I'm saying? So he's seeing the Son of God there, the Son of Man. And he, he gets slain in the Spirit. He's laying there. Right, sleep, right. And then, and then a hand touches him. Exactly. So right. Gabriel comes and wakes him up. You yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Gabriel comes and gets him. And, and he speaks about Michael coming to help him. So yeah. Um, so anyway, that, that gets kind of complicated, but I mainly just kind of wanted to point that out. So uh, 
but the one, you know, the one again, he's he goes back to the one who has the appearance of the, of a man in the same section um, in uh, verse fifteen. I think that's verse fifteen. He says, uh, "When he had spoken to me according to these words, Gabriel, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute." Verse 16, and behold, one like the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. That's the Son of God, you see. Because the Son of Man or the likeness of man, that's usually referring to Christ when you see that. The Son of Man, Christ refers to himself that way, you know, different places in Scripture. So I think it kind of goes back and forth between these two beings. Um, okay. Let's, uh, but I want to move on back to chapter 12 now. Um, Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, just to clear things up, the word archangel is used twice. Okay. Uh, uh, the first time is in First Thessalonians, where Paul says he will arrive with the voice of an archangel. Okay. So it's just okay. kind of a generic term. Yeah. In Jude, Michael is called an archangel as he is opposing Satan. Okay. So gotcha. it's very much that that warrior. That yeah. Okay. Michael. Gotcha. Well, you know, there are there are also, um, you know, we, we talked about this during the apocryphal study that Connor did, but there's other books out there that that are in the Jewish uh, culture that deal with angels. And, you know, their view of angels, they talk about more than we see in our scripture. I'm not saying that it's to be taken as canon, but you know what I'm saying. I mean, there's 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 more out there. And obviously, I mean, we can assume that what we've been told in Scripture is very limited compared to what there probably really is up there, you know, in terms of the angels and the Jesus beings. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, a long time ago, yeah, back. I don't know how much you clarify Yeah, it was when I was a teenager. I probably read it. Okay, yeah. So, um, so again, you know, we had this clarity of physical presence in the heavenlies. The man, the son of man, can touch someone. Okay, uh, therefore, we can assume he has a body. And he talks about this: this one who has the appearance of the man touched him. Um, he not only looks like a man; he is a man, as referred to in verse four. He's a glorified man but a physical person nonetheless. So that's, that's Christ. Now, the, um, the world tends to see conflict on earth as nothing but something that happens on earth. It's an earthly thing, you know. That's all there is to it. You know, we focus on that. That's what's reported in the news. If you, turn on a new, if you were to turn on a news uh, cast, turn on CNN or Fox News or something, and they start talking about the angel of of, uh, of Russia uh, and the angel of uh, Ukraine are at it. That would be pretty weird, you know, to hear that. But uh, somebody who's clued in on spiritual warfare that makes perfect sense. That there's more going on there behind the scenes, strings getting pulled, you know, and things like that from the, from the spiritual. Hmm. As they prayed, they saw the Lord turn. Wow. Huh. 
Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Right. Sure. Yeah, and you've got people too during that com- conflict, World War Two. You know, like Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who had to go through a lot of conscience, working through his conscience of you know, what do I need to do that is right in the eyes of God, and he ultimately. You know, he ultimately turns against Hitler, and he's killed for it. He loses his life for it. But um, yeah, yeah. So you know that that tells you right there. There's a spirit. There's spiritual stuff going on here, Connor. I think one thing that might help here, or just to help us work through this, because you're right, it is weird to talk about the angel of a country. That is yeah. kind of a weird way to think about it. But if if you just substitute the medieval word angel for spirit, it starts to make more sense. Mm. Because you can't mm-hmm. talk about the spirit of America or the spirit yeah. of Russia. Yeah, um, yeah. That word has not been, you know, as That's true. Right. you know, modernity. <coughs> and, mm-hmm. I mean, and those two words are interchangeable. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, the spirit and the angel, right. they mean the same thing. Yeah, because, you know, yeah. Biblically speaking. Right. All a spirit is, at the end of the day, is just a unity between two things. Mm-hmm. That's all it is. Mm-hmm. So you can have the spirit or the angel of mm-hmm. a household, of a church, of a country. It scales up and up and up. Sure. Eventually, yeah. you have you know this sort of governing spirit over the whole church, which we call that Michael. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah. Makes, so, makes sense. So I think if you use the word spirit, it starts to get a little easier. Yeah, that's a good idea. I like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You even get that in in worldly stuff, you know. And it's like it's like they've been influenced just enough that you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. In our families, right. In the city where we live, there is spiritual wickedness in high places, which we can't do anything about except humble ourselves to God. Yeah. Pray. You can pray. Yeah. We can pray against uh, the spirit of alcoholism, mm-hmm. the spirit of murder, or whatever it may be right. in a certain community. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's praying. And we need to do more of that. We yeah. need to do more of that. Yeah. And the only weapons we have. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Right. But it's things we can't see, or maybe we don't have visions like some people. Yeah. But yeah. yet, a lot of people do have visions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right. There's a there's proof of this whole thing of the spiritual battle, and we see in scripture an incident. If you look, somebody look. Maybe Craig, could you turn over to Second Kings six, Second Kings six, and read verses fifteen through seventeen. Uh, which verses? Six, uh, fifteen through seventeen. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army. 
surrounding the city with horses and chariots, and his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So he answered, Do not fear, for those are, who are with us are more than those who are again are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Mm-hmm. So this is a case where you had somebody who was doubting it, and the prophet uh, Elisha, uh, Elisha, however you say it, I don't know. You, you, you know. I say Elisha okay. because it sounds the other way. Sounds too much like Elijah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, he's uh, he prays to open this guy's eyes, and suddenly the guy can see the spiritual warriors. You know, the angelic beings ready to do war, and so that that has to be an amazing moment. Well, and you know? That was maybe I, was I supposed to read eighteen? You can. That's fine. I don't. They, they struck him with uh, God struck him. The, the, the enemies, yeah, yeah. The, 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 the battle wasn't even engaged. Yeah. <laughs> the opposing army was struck with blindness. Right. Yeah, so he went to war for That's right, yeah. Okay, let's move on to the next phrase. Um, there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been seen. There was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. We're back in chapter 12. Sorry about that. Your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. Let me make sure I'm in the make sure I have the right verse there. That's uh Yeah, we're still in in uh, well, that's Yeah. So uh, this time of trouble is often been uh, interpreted different ways, but a lot of people interpret that as the tribulation. Uh, some people call it that, you know, at the end times. This time of trouble is thought of that way uh, however you may fall on that issue you know in terms of rapture theology if you do hold to it or you don't and that's not a debate I want to get into this morning but but however one holds to that I think this clearly denotes a time of trouble you know in the end times and that's what it that's what it's referred to here so in worse than any in history so you know that's kind of I think we can definitely agree that the scriptures say that it's going to get really bad during this time of trouble. I mean, that's, that's pretty straightforward. And um, at that time, your people shall be delivered, it says, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. Where else in Scripture do we hear about the, the book in heaven? Revelation, Revelation that's right. Mm-hmm. The, the book of life, Lamb's book. So, um, he sure does, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Quick question on that. Sure. I don't want to derail us. No, no, it's okay. We're fine. Um, have you done any study on that word for book? Because books didn't exist when Daniel was written. Yeah, I have. Uh, so that was it, it. Would have been a scroll. It is the Hebrew that's used for book here is sefer, and sefer just means a volume or a writing. You know, you could say you could say that Exodus is a sefer. So it doesn't refer so much to the physical media as it does just the general idea that something's written. You understand That's what I'm written saying? Text. Yeah, That's written text. Okay. Yeah, okay. yeah. Well, it's like e-books. Say what? It's like e-books. Yeah. <laughs> just like that. Sure. <laughs> exactly like that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> 
So, yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, you know, and it, and I don't know, I didn't get far enough into it to see if the Septuagint translates it the same way, how that translates it, if it uses something for something more like a codex, which is this type of thing here, or uh, whether it's a scroll, but, and I, and I also didn't look at the Greek in Revelation. So, but you know, that might, that'd be a neat study. But I do know the Hebrew for this word is sefer, and that means a general, you know, writing. So, yeah. Um, so Revelation 20, verse 15. Would somebody look that up and read it? Revelation 20. Jim, I'll let Jim read it. Revelation 20, verse 15. Take your time. Uh-huh. There we go. So the same book that shows up in Daniel is in Revelation. So the same the same thing to read the names from. Now, let me just say this too, and I meant to mention this earlier and I forgot, but um, this prophecy, some a lot of people interpret some of these prophetic elements for particularly the warring that's going on that's mentioned in chapter 10 and 11, uh, as also the kings in that time that came and you had this uh, Persian king that came and, and uh, attacked uh, Israel and he profaned the temple. His name was Antiochus IV, I believe. He came and attacked the temple and he... Uh, he's, profaned the temple by sacrificing a pig. So he was a bad guy, and that's about as low as you can go in the Jewish mindset to kill a pig on the holy altar in the temple. But that's what he does. Of course, he sacrifices it to his God. And so, and you could definitely take this prophecy and and go with that and say, okay, that was that was that horrible, that was a horrible event. Uh, but I tend to read this as in a phrase using a phrase that some people refer to as double prophecy. And what that means is a prophecy can apply to more than one thing. It can apply to that. It can also apply to the end of time. And we know that this prophecy also refers to what's going on in Revelation, the end of time, because it, it, it parallels Revelation's language. It's the same, it's talking about the same stuff, the book of life. Uh, Christ, you know, the Son of Man that you see in Revelation looks just like he does here and so forth. So there's enough elements there that you can, you can um, I think, comfortably, without error, interpret this as also talking about the very end when he comes. And, uh, those things. Exactly, exactly, yeah. But that's often referred to as a double prophecy when you apply it to more than one thing. That's the phrase that I've heard read anyway, so... Okay, the next phrase, um, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never has... Oh, that's what I just read, my bad. Verse 2, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sun above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever. And verse 4, But you, Daniel, shut up the shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. So in this first part of verse 2, many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life. 
Well, this is, this is important because this is resurrection. It's talking about the resurrection. It tells us of that awakened from the dust of the earth is very clearly a picture and description of resurrection at the end of time, which you read more about, again, in the New Testament in various places. And then Daniel is told here that those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the sky. Therefore, what can we take from that? We can take from that that wisdom is bright like a heavenly thing. Wisdom is something of the heavenlies. It's when we exercise spiritual wisdom in our lives, we're thinking in a higher way. We're thinking more of a godly way. True spiritual wisdom. Pre-Christian wisdom. What did you say? Exactly. Exactly. He's the Sophos. Logos. Mm-hmm. Actually, mine is it does say wise as teachers because you're teaching others the gospel, you're teaching others the way of Christ. Sure, yeah. The gifts of the elders, the teachers, preachers, mm-hmm. and so forth. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. That's, no, that's. I, guess it could be both, I think that's right. I mean, the way that, the way that truth mm-hmm. is passed on in the church is through teaching. Because Paul yeah. says, mm-hmm. pray to have spiritual gifts, but pray that you might prophesy. Mm hmm. Yeah. Right. Uh, Psalm 51, right? The, the great confessional psalm mm-hmm. is, is begging, you know, for confession and forgiveness. Mm-hmm. So then I can teach the ways uh, of God to others, you know, something along those lines. Right, right. The wisest people on earth have surrendered themselves to Christ. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's why else is pretty stupid. <laughs> yeah. I think that's why if uh, you want to say prophesy, you've got to be real careful with that because being prideful humans, it's very, very easy to mix up inspiration with mm-hmm. imagination. Mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of those people. It's like, well, you should do this because I got this word from God, and you know this. And if anybody comes across, it's like, well, I, what I'm saying is pretty much the same as God saying, run. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it, it's. It's much, much better to be a humble prophet and say, this is how, you know, and if you can't back it up. I mean, I mean, every newspaper on Sunday, you get come by and visit my prophecy of the end times and we discuss, you know, when God will come back. And it's like, yeah, he doesn't even know that until God tells him. So, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> Trying to find a pull, you know, exactly when it's going to happen is, is a fruitless endeavor. Funny. In general. I think that's why you got to be really Mm-hmm. I have a word question. Yeah. Do you have anything in verse 2 about the word many? I do not. Mm-hmm. Uh, many shall run to and fro? Yeah, because, I mean, if that's a good rendering of it, it's not all. Many, but not all. Mm-hmm. But I'm not sure what to make of that. Multitude, yeah. Should we take it this as, like, that, the number 1,000, mm-hmm. just meaning a multitude? Right. Then that's that a good question. Yeah, I didn't mean all. I didn't even think to look at that. Yeah. It seems like it should be all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is the many referring to those who will rise to everlasting life as opposed to the many who will rise to, um, or as opposed to the others who will rise in disgrace? Well, that, 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 that's another option. Kind of a contrast of two minis. Mm-hmm. Well, many, many, well, all the way. Some to everlasting life, some to shame and 
Yeah. Many to and fro. What, uh, this was in Revelation, or where is it? This Daniel, or in Daniel. Yeah, well, it's. I think it could be some a lot simpler. Like you know, you get a human being seeing all this stuff, and it's blowing them away. It'd be like the same thing, and then a lot of scary stuff happened. Mm-hmm. It would be you know the same way I say it. Yeah. I mean, as a human being, you, you seeing stuff so miraculous and huge and all-encompassing, and you're just trying to find the words for it. Sure. I'm thinking about what Jesus says in the New Testament. There will be a resurrection to life mm-hmm. and a resurrection to damnation. Yeah, yeah. And actually, to me, that's what I'm giving up. Yeah, like yeah. All the sleep and dust and the earth and the to everlasting life. I think that's, I think that's a reasonable interpretation, yeah. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I know. I understand what you're getting at. Yeah. But I don't know if that's. Well, I don't know anything about the degree. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. You 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 help bring me in my next point. That's great. Uh, yeah. That that's something that is uh, very clearly playing out prophetically in our in our world. Uh, knowledge shall increase. I mean, a person has more access to knowledge right now than any than in the whole rest of history. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, just there's nothing, nothing like the way it is right now has ever been imagined in history. I mean, the amount of knowledge one can have access to, or you know, and, and bad information too, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So it's separates the many from the many. Yeah, so it's crazy. I mean, you know, the and running to and fro that that could mean travel. It could be or it could mm-hmm. mean chaos. Yeah, you know, yeah. Running around like chickens with no heads. Right. Yeah. Yeah, Bell's Asia Trees. You can get around the planet pretty fast these days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, it's that's. I mean, there's. To me, I mean, that's we could, we see that all that right now. You know, this uh, knowledge shall increase. Um, you, normally, you would think that would be a good thing in Scripture for knowledge to increase, but you know, uh, I, I'm reminded of the Tower of Babel when people tried to build it, and they were they were trying to do this their own way. You know, build their own tower. And God didn't like that, you know. And so, what does He do? What does He do? He uh, He confuses them, and they all start speaking different languages, you know. So, did I say something wrong? What? Well, we've got two towers of Babel going up right now. One of them is Amazon headquarters. Oh, okay. And the other one is next to the Ark. Gotcha. <laughs> I think. Uh, the yeah. Immortal, okay. <laughs> the immortal words of Ian Malcolm summed it up pretty good. We spent so much time trying to figure out if we could, we didn't stop to think if we should. From Jurassic Park, yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, the, uh, I realize what you're talking about. You're talking about the Ken Ham building the, yeah. building the, the model of the Tower of Babel. Yeah, okay. Well, and, and, and Amazon's, you know, yeah. design for yeah. their headquarters. Huh. Is, is oh, really oh wow. Okay, I didn't know that. Okay. <laughs> That's kind of funny. The, the creation museum and the ark and all that, yeah. Genesis. Yeah. It's, 
it's part of the exhibit. Well, I understand, but it's the negative, I guess. I've been to the Creation Museum. I thought it was, I loved it. It's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. We love the art. I hadn't been to the art, but I've been to the Creation Museum. Oh, the art. We were expecting it to be hokey. Okay, yeah. Yeah. It was good, yeah. We felt we came out there felt like, in a sense, it was kind of a a moonlight, safe place for those who believe. Yeah, I felt that too. Yeah, yeah. Even if you're, not, you know, even that's the thing. Is he building a Yeah, that didn't go so well the first time. So, yeah. 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 I think there's that's the reason God like I think that's one of the reasons God continues to call us children is because humanity has a habit of going look what I can do and thinking it's going to impress God Christians may be the most guilty of building yeah Mm-hmm. The spiritual tower of Babel. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's go. Let's look at verse five. It says uh, chapter twelve. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream, How long shall it be till the end of these wonders? Uh, this is uh, historically been interpreted by the fathers, and I agree with them as being. A moment of revelation of the Trinity. Uh, you have, you have uh, the the man clothed in linen. And you also have two others here, and they're on each they're on each bank of the river of life that flows from the throne. And so you have a you have a heavenly picture there. Uh, and the Son of God, in this case, in this particular situation, is there in the middle. And you give these three, and you get a Trinitarian picture. The King James does a better job, most other translations, uh, translating that, that river. Uh, ESV calls it a stream, but I think it's the river of life. And uh, the King James calls it a river, and I think that's a better translation. So the ESV failed on that one. Epic fail. <laughs> Well, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Do the L. (laughs) And then someone says to the man above the river, how long is this going to last? How long shall it be till the end of these wonders? In verse verse 7, I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time times and half a time and that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end all these things will be finished i heard but i did not understand now this is going to get into a long discussion about time times and half a time i've got a lot to say about that and we don't really have time so i'm going to end it there and we'll get into it next week okay that's right that's right (laughs) 
possession of power of the holy people. Uh huh. Yeah. We're seeing that in spades at this moment. Yeah. So, exactly. If you, if you claim to be a Christian, automatically you're, you're evil. Right. Right. It used to be the other way around. They say. I think I've read, heard in somewhere somebody said recently or the last few years that there's more Christians persecuted on Earth right now than in the history of in the history of Christianity. You know, even though you don't hear about too, it. But, yeah. There's so much more ways to persecute now. It used to be yeah. if you wanted to persecute, you go over and kill somebody. Right. Now you can slander them online. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you all. That's all I have. So. Hey, David.